Hello and welcome to College Football Throwdown, episode 140. I'm your co-host Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined as always by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hello, college football fans and Husker fans. Hello there, everybody. We're coming to you recording on Monday, November 28th uh, to talk about uh, Nebraska's victory over Iowa, uh, a bunch of the big games uh, from this past week, and what the current playoff implications are as we get into the conference championship game as it will determine so much. Absolutely. Yes. I like it. Yep. And... uh, Observant fans will probably know that there was another uh, big piece of news in the last week, uh, which is, of course, the hiring of Nebraska's new football coach, uh, Matt Rule, um, which we were kind of uh, anticipating that a coaching announcement would come after the Iowa game, regardless of if we won or lost. Um, However, uh, we're going to do a separate podcast coming up here uh, to go over all the details of that and give our thoughts and impressions and what we've heard. Uh, but look forward to that episode. That sounds good. I like it. All right. Uh, (laughs) And one other quick shout out here. Um, As we mentioned, we always encourage our listeners to uh, write into the podcast. You can email at huskerpete13 at gmail.com or leave a comment on any of the uh, iTunes or Apple podcast areas that you can uh, reach out. Social media. Yeah, you can reach out to the podcast. Um, and we heard from uh, a loyal listener, uh, Brad Hears, uh, that he listens to the podcast while he's uh, trucking across the country. So shout out to you, Brad. All right. Yes. Good to good to hear from him and uh, uh, really appreciate him uh, taking the time to listen to us babble. <laughs> That's right. Our intelligent analysis is what you meant to say. Uh, oh, is that what it was? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. (laughs) All right. And so I'm the one cracking the uh, cold beverage here today. Uh, More of my uh, Kona Brewing Company uh, Longboard Island Lager. I brought some of this with me when I went down to uh, San Diego for Thanksgiving, where I recorded the last podcast. So I brought some back with me. So here we go. All right. All right. So diving into things, um, we have sort of an interesting situation uh, on this podcast uh, where you were actually the optimistic one uh, for once in our predictions, uh, where you predicted that Nebraska would beat Iowa uh, 21-17, while I predicted that we would lose in a low scoring uh, 17-10. And of course, uh, Nebraska ended up winning uh, 24-17, so pretty darn close to your uh, score. Uh, it was an ugly win, you know, not still a lot of the same problems that we've been seeing recently. Um, but it was a really valiant effort by our defense to keep us in the game in the fourth quarter when things were getting tight, um, and us being able to capitalize on mistakes that Iowa made. That is correct. I, I, I just rewatched the game, Alex, and, and it's even more obvious on a second review. Um, a couple of things, one that, Absolutely. Uh, we only uh, we, we win this game because I because Iowa made all these uncharacteristic mistakes, the, 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 the turnovers, the penalties. I mean, they had. All the things that they usually rely on us to do so that we can self-destruct and they can win the game. We did it to them. So it was a it was an absolute reversal of fortunes in terms of how that all played out. And then they they just they simply had no ability to have a balance uh, or any complimentary offense going on at all. So uh, they were really hamstrung uh, by their own decisions, right? Like their coaches, I think, made some uh, really poor strategic choices that opened the door for us to be successful. Right. Like how they uh, were kind of trying to stay balanced between the running game and their passing game. Um, and their passing game was having some serious issues. Uh, whereas when they really committed to the run uh, later in the game, they kind of found that with our defense starting to tire out because our offense was three and outing and stuff, uh, they were really able to just move the ball on us. That, that is correct. Although I, I, I will tell you and on a, on the rewatch, they were uh, having a lot of, 
running success even early in the game. They just didn't remain committed to it, right? Uh, they would have a, a good running play um, uh, and, you know, get a first down or whatever. And then the, the next, you know, first down, they would only get two yards on first down. And then they would throw it on second and third down. And it's like, man, if you guys had just remained committed to the run, you were averaging about six or seven yards a carry if you just committed to it. Yeah, but you're correct. Iowa was minus three in the turnover game uh, by the end of it, um, and we led them 17 to nothing at halftime, uh, which included a missed field goal by us. Um, so some yes. uh, dropped points on the board there. Um, and I was uh, watching uh, part of the game on my phone, but I was also at uh, the Del Mar racetrack there in San Diego with uh, your brother, AJ. Um, so I wasn't able to, uh, fully, uh, absorb the game, but you were texting me. I know at halftime being worried that, you know, we hadn't, uh, scored enough given of the mistakes that they had made, you know, and that 17 points wasn't enough of a lead. And we came out in the, uh, second half and were able to capitalize off another of their mistakes, uh, go up to, uh, 24 to nothing. Uh, so at that point, I mean, you're more than three touchdowns ahead. So that usually should be secure. But of course, Nebraska is infamous for uh, losing games. I was reminded that we, you know, we led them last year, like 24 to six or something like that. And then they came, yep. they came back on us in a game that you and I were physically watching in San Diego last year. Right. Absolutely. And, the, and, and, you know, our, our ability or inability, I'll say it this way, uh, Nebraska's inability to be able to defend the run consistently so that they that a team can't just line up and smash us until we relent. Um, and then our, our propensity to just make mental error after mental error. And as we were, as we were progressing through that, that second half, you could see the mental errors. Uh, um, you know, uh, first uh, there were some mental errors on defense where, you know, we had been doing a pretty good job of keeping the ball in front of us and we were giving up, you know, a lot of nine and 12 yard runs and stuff, but we were let, we were not letting them crease us and run for, you know, 40. Well, sure enough, that's exactly what we did. And it was just bad gap, um, integrity, bad gap commitment. And, um, and this guy just, hit the crease and was gone. Right. And then we had poor tackling and the guy scores. Then on the very next play after their touchdown, they kicked the ball off. And instead of being wise, because you've, you've got a 24 to seven lead, what you want to do more than anything is catch that ball. If it's in the end zone or let it go into the end zone, let it be a touchback, start off on the 25 yard line. Cause we, we have not been a successful kickoff uh, return team all season. It's not our strength. Why try to do that in the last game of the year when it's clearly been something you struggled at? But no, our guy takes it two or three yards deep in the end zone, and what happens? Our uh, our kickoff return team has not blocked the, the thing well, and the guy ends up getting tackled at like the ten or eleven yard line, uh, you know, fourteen yard line, something like that. And of course, there's also a penalty on the play, and we end up starting that drive like on the six or seven yard line. Right. That is, and that leads to a three and out. They get the ball. I mean, it just creates the snowball, right? Right. Because, but but that wasn't the coach's fault. Uh, you know, that was a kid making the wrong decision. Okay. Um, and that uh, on defense, it's kid making wrong decisions. On our next offensive series, uh, we snap the ball. And it's a bad snap. It's actually too early. Um, our quarterback isn't expecting it. He has to jump on it and uh, just to keep it from being a turnover. But now you're behind the chains, you know, and it's second down and 15 or whatever. And you end up three and outing. I mean, just stupid little shit like that. And the next thing you know, Iowa's committed themselves to the run. They've stayed focused on it. And wham, bam. Uh, and they've started getting their tight ends involved with some really simple low risk play action passes uh that are perfect and uh, so that's their passing game and they start kicking our butt physically right uh interesting looking at the stats um we actually did uh run it more than we passed it we rushed it 35 times for 51 yards whereas we threw it 30 times for 
278 yards. So uh, we were running it, but we weren't having any success. Uh, so we were having to rely on uh, the throwing game, you know, to have success on offense, which worked in the first half. But then in the yep. second half, they started adjusting. And like you said, we made some mental errors that put us in bad situations to start off with. Um, yep. And, well, and, and they and, and they they made a change uh, because in earlier in the game, our our, you know, hopefully all Big Ten slash uh, all Big Ten honorable mention uh, wide receiver Trey Palmer basically had a matchup where he was able to just beat the guy. Uh, right. And um, and they rem- they switched up and, and, and started uh, locking their best quarterback on him no matter where he was on the field that guy was on right it was well man the man thing and he shut him down and you'll recall that this was a good uh call by the coaches because uh their uh, top like defensive back got hurt on a series and he was the one who was covering trey then the next time we come out on offense the first play on first down is a yes. deep pass to trey with this new younger guy covering Trey and he beats him bad and it was an 87 yard touchdown pass. Right. Exactly. Right. That is a great example of coaches paying attention to what's going on. And that's good coaching right there. That's mm-hmm. very good coaching. But then it was also good coaching by, by Iowa to uh, eventually recognize that discrepancy and, and make the commitment. And they had the ability to do that. Cause I mean, that was a big change for them. Cause all of a sudden, instead of them having a boundary corner and a, wide corner uh they uh they basically said okay this guy's locked on no matter where this guy goes he's staying with him so that he we can't even run a motion you know situation and move um and get the matchup that we were getting earlier we couldn't get it because that good cornerback was on him the rest of the day and he pretty much got shut down uh but again to nebraska's credit we threw the ball to uh washington and he came through had a spectacular catch to score our final points of the game. That 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 uh, score that took us up twenty four to nothing was a thing of beauty. That was a, 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 a just a string pass by Thompson and a beautiful catch by Washington. Yep. Another interesting stat for both offenses: um, we were five of fourteen on third downs, uh, while they were uh, six of sixteen. Uh, and they were one of three on fourth down. So near the end of the game, you know, we were at a point where uh, you just needed to run out the clock, right? You know, they were starting to catch up, but as long as we ran out the clock, we would win. And we get the ball and we fumble it, you know, which is the absolute worst thing you could do. So that gave them uh, easy opportunity at points. And thankfully, the defense stiffened up and forced them to kick a field goal in that situation. And then we get the ball back again on offense. We do nothing. I think they get the ball. Our defense manages to three and out them. We get the ball again. And at this point, it's like, okay, just get like one or two first downs and the game's over. And we still couldn't do that when we we were running the ball because we were trying to run the clock, make them use their timeouts. Uh, But we couldn't get a darn first down. Right. And, And that's a huge blunder by the offensive staff at Nebraska, you, you don't go uh, into, um, you know, um, um, what do I want to say, uh, shut it down mode, okay, with 12 minutes left in the fourth quarter. You, that's way too soon to stop running your offense. And we basically stopped throwing the football uh, uh, except on third down. It was so predictable. Okay, Nebraska's going to r- run it twice, and then throw it on third down. And that's the way we were for like three or four series. It was uh, the the offense became completely uh, unimaginative and very predictable. And and you were already playing one of the best defenses in the country. So, you know, giving them that, you know, assistance uh, allowed them to just completely shut us down. Yep. But credit to uh, Bill Bush and the defensive players because once again although they did start to give up more of those runs in the second half when it really mattered at the end of the game they came clutch and managed to stop them um and save our butts when the offense uh couldn't right exactly and and that's why this team and that's why uh no lead is safe kind of thing because we, we we have an offense that we can't rely on to get uh get a first down on a third and three and 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 defensively, although I feel like Bill Bush 
you know, uh, uh, created miracles in terms of how he was able to scheme around our weakness and and still uh, put put pressure on the quarterback and do things that caused problems for some of the opponents that we had. But uh, he had a defensive line that was simply incapable of stopping the running game. Right, there was no neutralization at the at the line of scrimmage. Iowa was just crushing us, and yet we uh, we found a way. Right, and and that's a huge credit to the coaching staff uh, for you know calling a game that that allowed them to do that. But the the physical limitations on our defensive line was so apparent. Right. So still though, an ugly W is still a W. You know, it was great to exactly. beat Iowa in their home stadium. You'll play spoiler like we talked about last week because uh Iowa, if they beat us, they had a free ticket to the Big Ten championship game. Uh but since we beat them and then Purdue later in the day beat in or in the next day rather, uh beat Indiana. Uh now Purdue all of a sudden is the uh, West champion in a weird series of events and is going to go play in that game. So that was great to end on a win. You know, we're finishing the season at four and eight. So another, you know, disappointing year. Um, but we can see that, you know, uh, Mickey Joseph has kept the players playing hard, even up to the final game, you know, and uh, we even had Trey Palmer, who we talked about earlier in this game. He broke the single season receiving record at Nebraska with 1,043 yards, uh, and he declared that he's going to the draft afterwards. So uh, pretty amazing that in a year where we were four and eight and terrible, uh, we so managed to set a record like that. <laughs> right. I know. Well, and, and, you know, you said it. And so I'll just reiterate because I, I know we'll talk about him more. Yeah, Mickey uh, and the staff really deserve a lot of credit uh, for pulling it together, hanging in there, you know, having the right message for the players to keep them committed to, uh, you know, uh, keep their effort up and keep playing hard. And uh, I feel like uh, it was a great scene at the end of the game, the way those co- uh, those players, you know, were able to enjoy that win, that victory with Husker fans and with their coaches. I mean, uh, it was obvious the you know the the affection that that the, the players have for uh, Mickey and for Bill Bill Bush. I mean his defensive players were you know, just all over him, hugging him, wanting to take pictures with him, all that sort of stuff. So that was a big big deal for those those coaches and those young men. Definitely. And we'll talk more about uh, Mickey, Bill Bush, and the rest of the staff in the next episode where we discuss uh, Matt Rule. And what the future of Nebraska is going to be looking like. Um, Yes. Of course, uh, in this week, there were many other big games, you know, rivalry games to end out the year. And the big boy was, of course, uh, Ohio State versus Michigan, you know, number two versus number three. Uh, Always a big game in the state of Michigan, no matter what, but extra big this year with them both being undefeated. Um, And so I predicted that uh, Ohio State was going to win. 31-24 was at Ohio State, even though I wanted Michigan to win, Uh, whereas you predicted that Michigan would win in a kind of lower, low scoring uh, 24-21 victory. Uh, But the finale, I think the final game did not uh, turn out the way anybody was expecting, where Michigan managed to win quite decisively uh, 45-23. Um, now that score is a little bit lopsided because Michigan got a turnover near the end of the game, was able to get an easy touchdown that kind of, I guess it would have been 38, 23 in that case. Um, but still watching the game, you know, once again, uh, being at the track, um, I was able to watch pretty much all the first half and then got bits and pieces of the second half, but I have since watched the highlights to see the fuller picture. Um, at the beginning of the game, it was looking like it was all Ohio state and Michigan was just barely hanging on because their offense was really looking anemic. And, you know, they forced Ohio State to kick a field goal at one point, I think. But um, the 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 eye test for me was showing that Ohio State was the better team early on. Well, o- o- Ohio State has some spectacular receivers and, and a very good quarterback. And, uh, and so, you know, um, and they were throwing the ball around early. And, and so, yeah, they were, they were having some success, but what they, what they weren't doing was running the football effectively. And that would become uh, a significant and, and obvious weakness 
uh, that would have influenced the rest of the game. Mm-hmm. And one well, Michigan also, uh, their uh, star running back uh, Corum, uh, we talked about how he was injured in the previous game and he was there and he would go in for like a play or two and then come out. Cause it was clear that like when he had to plant that leg that he had hurt, uh, you know, he wasn't uh, able to get his usual explosiveness out of it. Um, so that's, that's correct. So him being a question mark looked like, you know, uh, cause Michigan likes to run the ball. So having him out was a real problem for them. Uh, but then as the game progressed, uh, it turned out that Michigan, uh, not only was their quarterback McCarthy able to kind of prove his doubters wrong and show that he can throw the deep ball in certain situations, he was able to beat them on some big passes, but they also had some big uh, running plays where other running backs went for big yardage and they scored a lot of their touchdowns on just singular massive plays. Yes. So here's the thing, Alex. Uh, I I was amazed and uh, I was talking with some of my uh, Michigan friends, uh, of course, Brian and uh, a couple of other uh, Michigan uh, fans back in in Michigan. And uh, uh, the bottom line was the defensive scheme that Ohio State committed to was designed to stop their running game. But to do that, they were basically committing an extra player to the box and, and oftentimes either had only one uh, safety or in some cases, no safeties. Yeah. Like everyone was up on the line of scrimmage, you know, man on man uh, um, and, uh, and to basically daring Michigan to throw the football. And they, they seemed convinced in their, in their strategy and their, in their game plan, they seemed convinced that, that the quarterback at Michigan would not be able to consistently make completions and make them pay for this aggressive, you know, scheme. Um, and they were wrong. Now, the thing that blows me away is I felt like, uh, Ohio state never really came off of that game plan. Even when Michigan began to expose them with it, because, uh, ultimately, even, even when you load up like that, you're still susceptible to the running game. People used to do that to, uh, back in the old days against Nebraska and Tom Osborne would ultimately make them look foolish he would eventually figure out how to block the extra guy or fake him out, you know, w- with a with an option uh, package uh, blocked a certain way. And the next thing you know, we're going to the house on almost every other play. And it seemed like in the second half, Michigan did that, right? Like by the second half, uh, their running back was almost every time he touched the ball, he was going to the house. Right. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I believe uh, Ryan Day uh, fired a lot of his previous defensive staff uh, because of the loss to Michigan in the previous year. Right. And this new staff seems to have done well, obviously, you know, they made it uh, undefeated into this game. Um, So like you say, it is strange that when that, uh, when Michigan started to figure that particular scheme out, they didn't adjust. Uh, They kind of stuck to their guns. They did. They doubled down, so to speak. And, and I, it's it's a head scratcher. I, 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 it's it's the reason Michigan won the football game, frankly, uh, because I, I feel like I mean, uh, uh, Michigan played very well defensively. Don't get me wrong, but but um, they were uh, Ohio State was capable of scoring enough points if um, if they had been able to hang around and and you know stick with it. Um, I think the, the offense would have been uh, good enough. But that defense and the, uh, they just didn't give themselves a chance as far as I'm concerned. I think that defensive strategy was terrible. And when it when it got exposed, they seemed unwilling to uh, modify it and go back to their 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 more standard, you know, two 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 shell approach with two safeties. You know, uh, I, I just it's unexplainable to me. Yeah. So obviously last year, Michigan beating Ohio State for the first time in many years um, at home at the big house in Michigan uh, was a big deal and was widely celebrated in Michigan. But this time they were able to beat them by a bigger score. And it was uh, in uh, Ohio at Ohio State, you know, at their stadium. Uh, so I'm sure there was plenty of uh, partying going on all night in Ann Arbor. You know, I know uh, your friend Brian Clower was no doubt overjoyed um, to see them win 
in such a great way. Um, and I've seen some headlines and discussions from Ohio State, you know, certain fans and stuff that seems very hyperbolic to me, like that Ryan Day is now on the hot seat and, you know, he needs to get this turned around fast. If he loses to Michigan next year, you know, he's done, blah, 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 blah. Have you heard any of that sort of talk from your Ohio well, State I, fans? I have heard the talk. No, uh, not from Ohio State fans, not not from my friends, but absolutely on social media and and in some of the reports, some of the uh, uh, what I want to call it, uh, the the new media of uh, internet fans, uh, you know, uh, that are sports talk and podcasters like ourselves, you know, that are for the Ohio State um, team. That it was just. It, that that's funny to me. That's all funny. Okay. Cause if you're the athletic, if you're the athletic director at, at Ohio state, that is not the issue at all. Okay. Now uh, I would say that Ryan day on, he will put enough pressure on himself and he's going to really, um, you know, reevaluate again, his defensive staff and say, okay, my, my, I, I changed my coordinator was, you know, but, but he came up with a bad game plan for this big game. So, you know, is that a one-time thing and we can correct it, which is what I would likely expect to happen. I, um, there might be some position coach issues that might get shuffled, uh, but I, I would be shocked if Ryan Day overreacts and, and fires another defensive coordinator. Because at some point, if you start firing defensive coordinators every year, guess what? You don't, you don't get the best defensive coordinators interested in your job anymore, right? Yeah. I mean, all of a sudden, no one wants to work for you when you blame them and and don't give them a chance to to settle in, right? So, so I think uh, it would be very unwise right now for Ryan Day to to do anything other than do some self reflection and some you know internal scout and uh, and just get better, just just commit to getting better. Yep, I totally agree with that, and yeah, I'm hoping that this you know fit of anger from the fans is just kind of a momentary thing and will more rational minds will prevail amongst the fan base. Uh, cause yeah, he's, absolutely. he's still 11 and one, you know, he, he yeah. had a, uh, a good season. So, you know, they shouldn't right. be so upset. Well, the, the, the thing is, this is another one of these negatives of this, but that is both, uh, something that used to exist. Okay. in the days before a playoff, right. Uh, you had to remain undefeated, right? And um, um, there was, uh, I mean, the, the the sky was falling if you lost one game. That was the end of it, right? You were no longer in the national championship hunt uh, in, in many years in that, in, in that situation. So uh, that made this game so very critical. Uh, Brian and I talked about this. This, is, this was the game this year. That's what it's called is the game, okay? Well, in a couple of years when the 12 team playoff shows up, this will just be a play in game for what position you get. If you had a Michigan and Ohio state, you know, ranked, you know, second and fifth or whatever. Well, both of those teams are getting into the 12 team playoff. So it's just positioning game and the, the fans and the team are not nearly as hyperbolic uh, uh, for the loser that they're just disappointed that they didn't get a higher seed. You know, right. uh, uh, so so the 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 magnitude of the game will be diminished in the coming years. So that's what made this game so special. It's one of the last times that they're uh, going to do that. I mean, obviously next year they could do it and it would still matter and all that. But I'm just saying, there's just a few more years of that before all of a sudden that whole dynamic of those end of year games is going to change. Right? Wow. Those big games are going to feel different. That's definitely true. Um, and this game attracted apparently 17 million viewers, uh, which I believe is yes. the most for a college game, you know, before the uh, the postseason, right before the playoff um, and quite a number of years. So it definitely right. got a lot of eyeballs. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, it, well, and it, and it was exciting for quite a while. So it, it, it kept people's interest right and drew people in. And because, you know, the expectation was Ohio State was going to win, right? They were the better team, supposedly. So the closer you get to the, the upset, uh, then the more eyeballs come, come a-calling. Yep, very true. 
Of course, there were other big games uh, in this past week. Um, one upset that was quite interesting was uh, LSU playing against Texas A&M, the Texas A&M team led by Jimbo Fisher that's already not making it to a bowl game and has a ve- had a very disappointing year. Uh, but they managed to end off strong, kind of like Nebraska, where they managed to upset uh, highly ranked LSU, uh, 35, or I'm sorry, 38-25. Um, what I saw of the highlights, you know, it just looked like LSU's defense really wasn't able to stop uh, Texas A&M. You know, they got a lot of uh, big plays on them and just kind of outscored them over the course of the game, especially in the second half. I think it, it, it got away from them. So, yeah, uh, that and that has serious uh, playoff implications because LSU was a two loss team and now they're a three loss team. Their chances of making the playoff, uh, even if they do win in the uh SEC championship game uh, just diminished. Oh yeah, no, they're not getting them. Uh, I I I would say uh, because of those three losses, even if they were able to magically beat Georgia, I think all the, all that does is change Georgia's ranking. Right, Georgia probably remains uh, uh, in there unless unless LSU just annihilated them or something. Um, uh, Georgia's still in the top four, but I don't think LSU gets to go into the the that would open the door for big 12 pack 12 big 10 plus two right like ohio state and michigan so um yep yeah and, I, and this one was interesting uh south carolina played against clemson uh south carolina who upset tennessee the previous week uh managed to beat clemson by one point uh 31 to 30 and i also watched the uh the replays for that one and yeah, and I think they both got to that uh, score like pretty early in the fourth quarter. And then the rest of the game was just kind of a defensive battle, right? Uh, kind of stopping each other from going further in South Carolina, trying to run out the clock by running it and stuff. Um, so uh, another kind of disappointing loss for Clemson this year. Oh, absolutely. Totally. Uh, I mean, certainly early in the year, you never would have said, oh, I think you know, that's going to be a good game there at the end of the year. Everybody expected that. And frankly, um, South Carolina, Carolina was looking like they were uh, heading to a, you know, six and six type of season. And then all of a sudden their offense came alive and just exploded uh, against Tennessee, right? Scoring 63 points or whatever they did. And, uh, and then they followed it up a week later, beating another top 10 team in Clemson. So, um, that South Carolina team seems to be finding itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was another interesting upset, uh, Oregon state playing against Oregon in that rivalry yeah. game. Uh, it was not an ugly, or it was an ugly win. Cause, uh, Oregon state was minus three on turnovers. They fumbled it a lot. Um, but, uh, credit to their defense. Uh, they managed to stop Oregon on a number of occasions. Uh, they managed, they made a good special teams play where they blocked a punt, of Oregon's, which basically gave them the ball right at the goal line to score a touchdown. Uh, and near the end of the game, uh, Oregon was at the goal line. And if they scored a touchdown, they would be up in the game by three. Um, but uh, Oregon State made a goal line stand and stopped them. And that pretty much uh, sealed the fate of the game. So uh, good job to Oregon State. Absolutely. A to- again, totally unexpected. I watched a lot of that game, uh, even though it was later. Um, and uh, um, yeah, v- very impressed with Oregon State and their, you know, they played the whole way through. And, uh, uh, you know, Oregon is is just, uh, they, they are on the verge of something good, though. That's the thing with Oregon. Uh, they obviously, that's disappointing. Uh, they've had a couple of disappointing losses this year. But I just uh, and I don't know if that's because their new coach, you know, is is really going to do some great things or whether he was reaping the benefits of his predecessors. Great recruiting. Right. Uh, Oregon had uh, their previous coach, who's now at Miami, if I remember correctly, um, yep. um, just had done a great job of recruiting and it really stocked the shelves, so to speak at Oregon and uh, the new coach was able to come in and, and, and really benefit from that, I think this year. So the question is, are they going to be able to continue that momentum uh, in terms of talent acquisition and, and supplement uh, what they have? Because I'm going to predict Oregon could be very, very good next year. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, obviously, yeah, they've got plenty of money. They've got the talent, you know, got good recruiting. So they've got all this, the individual things they need. Plus, with UC, USC and UCLA leaving the Pac-12, right, uh, that really leaves it open for them. They just have to worry about, like, Utah and Washington, really, and that's it in that Pac-12. Right. I agree. So there's going to be some interesting things. Speaking of USC, um, they played against Notre Dame, uh, one of the big games of the weekend, because that also had uh, big playoff implications if if Notre Dame were to win and upset uh, USC. But uh, USC uh, managed to pull away in the second half and won 38 to 27. Um, I was watching parts of that game live because uh, I knew that was a big one. Uh, and uh, Caleb Williams, who was Oklahoma's quarterback last year and followed Lincoln Riley to USC, uh, he definitely uh, added some points to his stock for the Heisman uh, Trophy in that game because he was scrambling all over the place, made out of some situations that looked impossible and threw passes to make positive yardage and stuff like that. Um, I don't know if you watched that game, Dad, but there was one in particular that I showed to your brother AJ, which was uh, just a simple... Uh, handoff between himself and the running back right and he gives the ball to the running back and the uh, defensive player bites and just tackles that running back and he pulls the ball off at the last possible second keeps it himself and walks in for the touchdown it was really right really beautifully executed wow um i didn't see that particular play but no he he did you're you're exactly right there's no doubt he's going to be uh in new york city you know at for the heisman finalist and at this point, I would say, you know, with the uh, vote voters being able to vote officially as of today, as we're broadcasting or uh, recording this podcast, uh, uh, you know, he's top of mind, right? Top of mind awareness, end of season. And frankly, because one of the advantages for these uh, premier players out on the West Coast is, you know, a lot of the voters don't see him, right? They just don't see them except for a few times a year. And, and if you play well, on the few occasions when people stay up late enough to watch those uh, Pac-12 games, then um, it's uh, you know it's a it's a big deal. And and the, I don't know how he played in the game against uh, Utah that they lost, but if if he didn't play very well, you know people have long since forgot that, right? Where all the other candidates like uh, the Ohio State quarterback you know, just didn't have a good, good day against Michigan. So uh, you have a couple of bad games and you're out of the conversation. Right. Or, or uh, Bo Nix at Oregon, right. Also a bad day. Yeah. Well, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Yep. yep. Um, and here are two upsets that uh, probably made some Nebraska fans happy. Um, Oklahoma played against Texas tech uh, and yep. lost in overtime 51 48 because they missed uh, the field goal in overtime. And then uh, Minnesota managed to upset Wisconsin and beat them 23-16. Yes. Now, uh, interesting on both fronts, okay, uh, both having kind of implications to our next podcast, a little teaser. Um, uh, I want to throw a couple of teasers out there. Number one, uh, that coach at Texas Tech, he's from the, uh, the Matt Rule tree. He actually was a high school coach in Texas that Matt Rule uh, tapped to become part of his staff when Matt became a coach uh, at Baylor, became the head coach at Baylor, and now finds himself the head coach at Texas Tech and has taken them bowling in his first year at Texas Tech. Mm-hmm. And then uh, on the, uh, the Minnesota-Wisconsin uh, side of things, I think uh, that loss uh, probably sealed the fate um, of uh, the decision by Wisconsin to uh, to give the coaching job to Luke Fickle rather than the 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 you know um, the native son uh, uh, Jim Leonard who had been the interim coach there and most had presumed he was going to be the guy that was next in line because that's the way Wisconsin does it right that's the way Coach uh, uh, or Barry Alvarez had done in the past is, you know, uh, someone from his coaching tree had kind of been handed the gift of the, of the keys. And now uh, this wasn't happening. Right. 
So um, now in all likelihood, the pursuit of Luke Fickle had happened way before then, but I think this made it much more palatable and there's much more unity probably in the Wisconsin fan base, knowing that Luke Fickle was the right choice in this situation. All right. Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about that more on the next podcast, but I also agree we will. that that played a factor into it. And I'm going to mention one more thing, the little teaser that we'll talk about in the next podcast that involves that Clemson, South Carolina game. So we'll talk about that on the next podcast. All right. Very cool. Um, so of course now we have, uh, you know, we're, we've reached the end of the regular season, you know, sad for all of us football fans out there. Uh, but we're getting to the conference championship games, which is always exciting. And some of them we already knew in advance. Um, but the finals, uh, we in the Pac-12, we have USC-Utah. In the Big 12, TCU-Kansas State. And the SEC, Georgia-LSU. In the Big 10, uh, Michigan-Purdue. And in the ACC, Clemson-North Carolina. Um now, in terms of, uh, you know, playoff implications, uh, one game I wanted to mention but forgot was uh, TCU played against Iowa State, and they crushed them uh, 62-14. I think they scored like 24 points in the first quarter alone, um, which I think was good for them because some people have kind of questioned, you know, their resume this year, but that was a statement win for sure. Um, so the, you know... The top four, my prediction would be that it, Georgia will obviously stay where they were at number one. Michigan will be number two because they beat Ohio State. Uh, TCU will move up to number three uh, because Ohio State lost. And then uh, LSU, uh, who was ranked above uh, USC previously uh, in the previous week's rankings, they lost and then USC beat a well-regarded Notre Dame team. So I think it's quite obvious USC will be number four. Uh, so we're in a situation where if all four of those teams win, as they're expected to do, if the favorites win, then it's a simple uh, exercise for the playoff committee. And those four teams will be in our playoff finals. Uh, the interesting thing is if there are upsets in those conference championship games, that's where things can get uh, a little screwy. Right. Because if you look at who's likely to be five and six and seven, right, it's predictably going to be uh, Ohio State, even though they lost to Michigan. Because, again, that Michigan score um, is more lopsided than than the actual game Um, uh, in terms of uh, uh, late in the game, Michigan had two explosive touchdowns, right, Um, uh, that made that score look more lopsided. Uh, and that is the only loss they have, right? Uh, but now you've had Alabama sitting back there. They were like eighth or ninth. But now because of all the losses in front of them, they are creeping themselves right back into the conversation. Yep, that's true. Yeah, actually, Alabama was seventh uh, last week. Yeah. They were just below LSU and USC. Uh, so likely now they will be uh, the number five team. You think they will be ahead of Ohio State? I, uh, if that's true, that is classic ESPN well, manipulation and SEC bias. I, I'm sorry. There's no way. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're, you're correct. I think Ohio State will likely be number five, and then Alabama will be six. Um, yes, and that's the way it better stay, or I'm <laughs> going to lose it on this podcast next week. Right. Well, we'll hear. We'll have to. Uh, you know, code it, uh, with cuss words, <laughs> explicit. It'll be explicit podcast. Yeah, it'll be explicit. That's the word. Okay. Um, well, I think, you know, if I'm going to play devil's advocate for a moment, um, I think the argument that an Alabama fan would make is that, uh, they did lose twice, uh, but both were to, you know, teams that are considered to be good, Tennessee and LSU. And they were both by like one point, right? Like they were very close games down to the wire. Um, whereas yep. Ohio state lost in more of a dramatic fashion to Michigan. Uh, however, of course, obviously Ohio state, uh, only has the one loss, um, to a very highly regarded Michigan team. And uh, both of them are not playing in their conference championship games, so neither of them can really, they're equal on that point. Right. Well, and the two losses you said were both good teams, both lost. Tennessee got its ass handed to them by, by South Carolina. So Tennessee is now a team that has three losses, right? Or at least. And uh, LSU lost Texas A&M. So uh, the 
And and keep in mind, Alabama has three or four one score victories this year. Right. They Texas they played it almost tight. beat them. Right. They played it tight. I mean tight, right? Where Ohio State pretty much dominated everybody else they played except for Michigan. Um, so I mean, I'm sorry. I look at those two resumes and I don't think they're even close. And the only reason that there's even discussion of this is because it's Alabama and because it's SEC. And and you've got the shills like that idiot down there in Alabama, um, Feinbaum, who's a complete idiot. And ESPN has propped this guy up. He's he's not even a good football analyst. He's just an ego-driven dip who has found uh, an angle – um, as a sports columnist or sports um, a commentator, uh, because he happens to live in Alabama, uh, I think I I don't value anything he says. He's got no credibility to me at all as a football uh, analyst. Now, does he have a lot of connections, and he, can he be the guy that you know leaks information about this team or that? Oh, sure, he's got that, but that's all he is. I did just check. Uh, Tennessee is a two-loss team. They're ten and two, um, but yeah, LSU okay. has three losses currently. Um, okay, so so Tennessee lost to Georgia and and South Carolina, right? Correct, and they lost badly to both. You know, both right. are not close, right? Um, right, and I think it's a good to raise the point that Alabama also had some close calls earlier in the year where they nearly lost, whereas Ohio State uh, was pretty solidly ahead of most other teams they played this year. Um, exactly. So, so I think you're correct. Ohio State will be five. Alabama will be six. Trust me, the the, the SEC machine has basically, um, you know, uh, really two weeks uh, uh, to make their pitch and they're using all the resources they can. Every commentator they've got all kinds of national columnists having the conversation about well, uh, Alabama, you know, and comparing Alabama to the USC, they're, they're practically ignoring Ohio State and then when they do bring up Ohio State they, they almost act like, well, they're the third team in the discussion. They're not. The discussion is really between uh, Ohio State and USC has nothing to do with Alabama and shouldn't. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, if USC wins, they'll be a one loss team. They'll be the PAC 12 champion. They also only lost by one point to Utah earlier in the year. Um, Right. So, you know, uh, yeah, I, I think if you, if you, if USC wins, there's no question to me that they'll be in and Alabama won't like, that's a silly argument. The argument between Ohio state and uh, Alabama is more interesting to me. I don't think so. It shouldn't be. <laughs> it, it it shouldn't be. If you if you're being uh, objective and you're being consistent with how they've treated uh, these decisions historically in past college football playoffs, so that's all I'm going to say. Right. Because they have, uh, you know, and so if if that becomes a thing, because USC does lose to Utah, I don't think they're going to. I think I think you know USC lost to Utah uh, out there at Utah at a night game, it was kind of a trap, right? Like uh, the, the perfect storm for Utah. And Utah still only won by one point, right? So uh, now they're playing in Vegas, the big lights, uh, an environment where USC is very comfortable. USC, I think, has been trending very uh, with, with some improvement as the season has progressed. And so I, I have a feeling USC is going to uh, play very well now. But having said that, I really don't know how good Notre Dame is, and Notre Dame was able to hang around with them. You know, yes, it was an 11-point victory, but it just seemed like USC had opportunity after opportunity to kind of bury them and just be done with it, and they couldn't do it. Right. And uh, Utah is uh, coming off of a close loss against uh, Oregon, and then in the last week they crushed Colorado uh, 63-21. Um, so, you know, typical of a Pac-12 school, they clearly have some, uh, offensive firepower. Um, but I think, you know, as we mentioned, Caleb Williams at USC had a great game. You know, I haven't really been following their games too much, but clearly he's, uh, playing well. And so if they're able to build momentum off of that, uh, playing at a neutral field, uh, I also agree. I think USC has got this one. I would agree. What's your score prediction then? Well, uh, again, because I think Utah is going to, you know, their game plan is going to be the same as it was before. 
They're going to try to keep it close, but I think USC is going to try to open it up and force Utah into more of a back and forth game. Um, and uh, remind me what the score of that early season one was. Uh, Wasn't it pretty high? Wasn't it yes. like Four, 42 for- to 41 or something? 43, 42. Yeah, 43 to 42. Okay. So um, um, you know both teams can can score if they have to. But I just have a feeling that you know it's a, it's a championship game. There tends to be a little bit of a feeling out period. And then one team or the other kind of gets the advantage. And then there's a letdown on the other side. So I'm going to predict a USC victory. I think it's going to be more um, more significant this uh, than their last meeting. And uh, uh, so I'm going to say, let's do USC 38-21 for um, Utah. Utah. Okay. Yep. Um, I'm going to go a bit differently, uh, a bit higher scoring. I think I'll say that uh, USC will uh, score 45 and that Utah will score uh, 35. I think Utah uh, has enough talent okay. to keep it close, um, but that, uh, you know, kind of similar to the Notre Dame game, you know, USC will be just that bit better and uh, hold on to their lead. Okay. I think I, I like your score. That's a good analysis. All right. Uh, speaking of that, uh, the other kind of rematch that we're getting in these conference championship games is TCU versus Kansas State. Uh, TCU beat them uh, at home for TCU, uh, 38-28. And so now Kansas State's getting a second shot at a neutral, quote-unquote, field, though it's in Texas. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, that classic Big 12. It's <laughs> neutral as long as, it, as, as long as it's in Texas. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, so what's your prediction here? Well, uh, man, TCU looked good last week. I just, uh, I'm going to say TCU is going to win. Um, but, but I will say that I think this is the one that's most of the four that we've talked about that are likely to be in the playoff. This is the one that I'm least confident in, uh, in terms of the outcome. Cause I, I really think Kansas state's capable of winning this football game, but I, I feel like this one's going to be high scoring. Uh, I think this one's going to be. Uh, maybe a little bit more like what you said. It's going to be a like a forty-eight to thirty-five victory for TCU, um, but it's going to be a, a score fest. Yeah, that could well be. Um, and I believe Kansas State has still been playing. Uh, they beat Kansas last week. Uh, they've they did. They've still been playing their um, kind of throwing quarterback guy because Adrian uh, was still hurt, if I'm not mistaken. The, well, I, I think Adrian's available, but that but their their backup has been playing so well that I think they've basically just made the decision that they're better with him. And and um, not that I would say Adrian has been completely replaced, because I have a feeling that like in this championship game, if K State was struggling, they would they would be inclined to switch it out and and put Adrian in again uh, rather quickly. So this young kid's gonna have a quick hook if he doesn't perform well, but, uh, but I think they actually look like a better team when he's playing rather than Adrian. Right. Okay. I, I agree. Um, I'm going to predict a little bit lower scoring, but I think it will be close. Uh, I think TCU will win uh, 38 to 31 over Kansas state uh, and cement their place in the playoff. And, and my, my point was that, uh, you know, TCU is going to win. But I, I could see a scenario in this championship where K State uh, wins this thing comfortably. Uh, you know what I mean? Right. I, I obviously am choosing TCU, but I could see it going the other way. Mm-hmm. Well, to, to TCU's credit, you know they've been in some close games this year, but they've always found a way to come back and manage to squeak out the W. So uh, I agree. I agree. They've got that touch in them. Um, yep. And then there's uh, Michigan Purdue, you know, now Michigan coming off of the great win against Ohio State, having to go up against Purdue in the very, uh, you know, divided, uh, beaten up West, right? You know, the West teams all kind of beat each other up. And so we were in this free for all where there are multiple teams that could have, Illinois could have still made it to the uh, championship if things had gone a certain way uh, last weekend. 
Um, so yep. yeah, I feel like uh, Michigan should have this one pretty well in control, uh, unless Purdue, you know, they do call them the spoiler makers. So, you know, they have made some crazy upsets before, but I'm not sure this is the one. What's your, what's your score? Uh, I'll say that, uh, uh, Michigan will end up winning, uh, and let's say it's 38 to, uh, 24. Oh, okay. Okay. That's a good score. Um, okay. So here's my thoughts. Uh, I, I would agree with you. I think Illinois was the best team in the West this year. Uh, and Illinois, you know, frankly should have beaten Michigan, right? Illinois, uh, put the biggest scare in Michigan all season. Illinois was able to hold them because of their defense. Purdue's got a pretty salty defense at times, but then at other times it gets blown up, right? So it's kind of hit or miss with them. I think uh, Michigan's going to have a little bit of a, a hangover from the Ohio State game, but I also feel like there's an equal chance that they're going to be energized by it because they won that that they won against Ohio State with their best player on the bench. Right, And I don't know what his status is going to be for this week. I'm going to presume that he's still either going to be only spot used or not used at all and saved for, you know, the, the first round of the playoffs or whatever, unless, unless required. So he's going to be a only if necessary kind of a decision at the beginning of the game. I'm going to say that the score is going to be similar to what, what you just described. Uh, uh, you said 38, 24. Uh, I'm going to say it's going to be, um, uh, 42 uh, Michigan to 24. Okay. That'll be an interesting one. Uh, And then uh, the last of the playoff relevant championship games, we have uh, Georgia LSU. Uh, Obviously disappointing for LSU, right? You know, if they were going to this game uh, with only two losses, you could maybe argue, you know, that they still had a chance. Um, but with three losses, right. it's pretty out of their hands, even if they do manage to win. And Georgia, who played against Georgia Tech, you know, did their usual thing where their offense didn't look great at the beginning, you know, but their defense is just so good that they held uh, Georgia Tech down and then their offense got going late. And I think it was like 38-17 or something like that. Um, right. So I expect to see that defense come to play again. You know, they've been here before. They are the defending national champions. Uh, so I think that they will be focused and ready to go and not uh, look past this LSU team. Um, so I'm going to predict uh, maybe a little lower scoring game, uh, but that Georgia wins, uh, let's say, 24 to uh, 13. Interesting. I think it's going to be higher scoring. I agree with you that Georgia's going to win. I think it's going to be higher scoring, and I, I think it might be a little tighter. Uh, and here's why. Um, um, the, the coach at LSU, you know, Brian Kelly, uh, is a pretty darn good coach, and he just got embarrassed a little bit there, in my opinion, by AM. So he's going to double down a little bit. And uh, I just have a feeling LSU is going to come out fired up and really, really ready to play. Um, and um, um, But if things don't go well for them early, you know, it could be Tank City. Um, so there's certainly a possibility that Georgia just takes them off the map. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think the opposite, in fact. And uh, it's going to be a tight game. And I think it's going to be a little higher scoring. I'm going to say uh, it's going to take um, – it's going to take, uh, let's, uh, we're getting hung up on this number 38, but I'm going to say uh, 38 points for, for um, uh, Georgia. And uh, I'm going to say uh, 31 for uh, LSU. All right. Interesting, interesting. And then, of course, we have the ACC. Um, usually we'd be talking about Clemson, you know, being in the, the hunt for that uh, playoff spot. Um, but with their upset loss to um, uh, South Carolina, South Carolina. Yes. Thank you. Uh, they lost to South Carolina. And then North Carolina uh, lost to NC state in double overtime. Uh, yeah. Who's the other ACC champion. It was already predetermined. So uh, we have one that's 10 and two, one that's nine and three. So, you know, the ACC just isn't that good this year. So those two losses reflect pretty badly on Clemson. Uh, so it seems like even if they do win, uh, there's pretty much no shot of them getting in unless like 
there's a ton of upsets and things just get totally flipped around. Yeah. I, I can't see the path at all on myself. So yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. Um, as for the game itself, um, honestly, I'm going to go, uh, this is the one where I'll predict the upset, uh, because Clemson has shown themselves to be, uh, you know, uh, kind of shaky in moments, you know, not playing with that usual poise that we've seen from them in past years, you know, making uh, costly mistakes and things like that. Uh, and North Carolina yeah. are, are clearly is susceptible to that too. Um, but I feel like Clemson's got more pressure on them. Whereas for North Carolina, this is their first time doing this in a while, you know, and they're playing maybe more freely than Clemson in that game. Uh, so I'm going to say that it's a close one, but that North Carolina wins, 31 to 30 reflecting Clemson's last game. Love it. Okay. I kind of agree with you uh, that this is going to be close. Um, And, you know, North Carolina, of course, coached by good old Mac Brown uh, of Texas fame um, and just keeps finding a way to have competitive teams. Um, uh, They don't have the talent to match up with, with uh, Clemson. But I agree with you. Clemson's just uh, in their heads a little bit, and uh, they um, uh, they they don't look like the Clemson team of recent years. So I would agree with you. Uh, but if if it's an upset, I think it's going to be more lopsided than that. So I, I'll go with uh, agreeing with you um, uh, that North Carolina wins. Um, but but I'm going to say North Carolina is going to win it. Um, 3121. Okay, interesting. And so as a final discussion here as we wrap up the podcast, um talking about those upsets, uh say that uh Georgia and Michigan both lose in close contests, so now they both have one loss. Um do you think that there's still chances that they get into that uh 14 playoff or does someone else jump them into position? Oh no, I I would say let's take them one at a time. If Georgia loses to LSU, um, unless it's a blowout, Georgia's still in the top four. So Georgia's in even if they lose, okay? Uh, Only in the circumstance where LSU just blows their doors out, then maybe somebody might question it. But even then, I I would say the odds would still be greater than 50% that they're in. Michigan State, or Michigan, I can't say as definitively about that. And a Purdue loss would be a massively ugly loss. So in that case, I think it might be one of those situations where Michigan would fall to five. And, of course, Ohio State would end up getting in um, um, with its one loss being to Michigan, right? And Michigan would be on the outside looking in. Right. That would be a real uh, unfortunate situation for Michigan fans where they beat Ohio State, but they somehow springboard them into the playoff anyways. <laughs> that would be. Well, and, and the thing is, is that interestingly – that could happen. I mean, it depends on how big a hangover uh, Michigan has from this big victory, right? They beat Ohio State at Ohio State for the second year in a row. And, the you know, last year, um, I, I would have thought that was more likely than this year. Now you'd think, okay, been there, done that. Uh, they should um, know what it takes, right? And not over overreact and uh, not consume too much energy. But that was an awfully big win that they had last last weekend. So uh, you could see a, maybe a little bit of a letdown this week. Could be, could be. Um, and then with USC, I don't think there's much discussion since they already have one loss. So if they lost again, they're definitely out. And then TCU, uh, what do you think about them? Because they're also undefeated, but I think people think that their record isn't as strong. Right. I, 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 I'm here to say that if either one of those lose, either UC, USC or or TCU, they're out. Okay, there we go. So, and that's and that's our scenario. We have the Ohio States, the Alabamas, uh, kind of down there to potentially jump up into those spots if uh, there were to be a bunch of upsets uh, in this top uh, four. Uh, but of course, right. uh, Ohio State is the, it's, as we argue, the top contender uh, to still make it in since they only have the one loss to Michigan over Alabama. I, I, I say that's not even close, even though the national conversation, they're trying to manifest 
uh, Alabama being the choice. Right. And, and they'll succeed because that's what ESPN does because that's the power of media, as we see in all other areas of our world. Right. Well, it's interesting because there aren't that many one loss, like top tier teams left. You know, most of them right. do have, they're either undefeated or they have two losses. That's kind of the scenario right now. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So been a, been an interesting year for football, you know, lots of cool upsets. So it's been fun to watch as a, as a fan. So I think for these four teams that we've been discussing, it's just that kind of last push, right? You've had a great year. You just got to get through one more game and then you can take a bit of a break and focus on the, the big upcoming games, which, uh, I am, I, I, if, if, if things play out as expected and the favorites win, I'm very excited for this top four. Cause we get some teams that we haven't had in the top four in some time, you know, yes. uh, based on the current rankings, we'd have like Georgia playing against USC and Michigan playing against TCU, you know, and the winner of those. I, as a guy that lives in Michigan and so follows them, I, I would tell you that that scenario that you're, you just described is ideal for Michigan. I think I think Michigan could look at that and lick their chops and say this is the best opportunity we could have ever hoped to have. We get to play a Big 12 champion who's undefeated, so comes in with a lot of credibility, but yet uh, is a team that you know objectively uh, the eyeball test would say Michigan can can control them, right? Uh, USC is a team that um, you know has come on as the season has progressed and might be able to put uh, the the fear of god into into georgia because that caleb williams could make the difference Mm -hmm. yeah i agree i definitely think if if you're michigan and you have to choose between those teams you're hoping for tcu um right so uh we'll see how everything plays out uh we'll be doing a podcast uh in a week's time where we'll be talking both about the results of the conference championship games as well as the uh playoff rankings which that final one of course is the important one uh though if if all four teams win uh though as i'm thinking about it you know if all four teams win, we're, we know who the top four are going to be, but we don't necessarily know the order, right? Because sometimes they have swapped the order of like two and three, you know, at yeah. the last second. You know, if like TCU blows the doors off of Kansas State while Michigan barely wins against Purdue, right? You know? Um, right. So there are interesting scenarios there. So we'll be coming back to talk about all that uh, coming up soon. That sounds like a good conversation. All right. Well, and if you out there enjoyed listening to this podcast, you can reach out to us at huskerpete13 at gmail.com. You can also find us if you search for College Football Throwdown on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can leave us a rating or review there. We always love hearing from the fans. So thank you all out there for listening, and thank you, Dad, for joining me for this episode. Until next time, go Big Red. Go Big Red. Go Big Red.